and greetings, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2010. It is good to be able to speak to you in this way once again at the beginning of God's festival. This is my 62nd Feast of Tabernacles since I first came to Ambassador College back in 1949, and I'm grateful to be able to keep on. I turned 80 years of age a few days ago, but God has continued to give me strength, and for that I'm very grateful. A special welcome to you hundreds of new people who are with us this year for the first time. God has added many hundreds of people to the church, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful for the fact that God is helping us to have a far greater impact on this whole world through this work that he has raised up. So we want to give God thanks and rejoice in what he's doing. As these huge events happen in prophecy, and as we do our part, many hundreds more, and eventually thousands more, will join our ranks. You will see, they will understand where the full truth is being preached and where God's work is actually being done and where God's government, which we're picturing here, is rightly administered. Not perfectly, no one's perfect in anything, but we do have the right organization, the right kind of church government, which God describes, and we're grateful that God has guided us in all these things. God's church is growing But brethren, we truly know and understand that the world needs what we have. They do not understand and they need a lot of help. Most people in this confused world are very empty. Their lives are empty. Their hopes are being drained as things get worse and worse all over this world. They do not know why they were born. They do not know the purpose of their lives, and they certainly don't know how to achieve that supreme purpose because they don't even know what it is. And the world and its churches and man's politics and educational system has let them down. And we're coming now to the point of human annihilation, cosmicide, unless the God of heaven would intervene and send Jesus Christ back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're here to picture that wonderful time when Christ will be here on this earth, ruling this earth and bringing a kind of peace and joy which the world has never experienced. So we in the living church of God do know our purpose and we can be encouraged and inspired by the knowledge that God has given us of his plan And with these very festivals point out that plan, we are here in this festival to be strengthened in this understanding. And we're here because the whole whole world will be keeping this festival. And we're pre-picturing it, so to speak. We are pioneers. We are ambassadors. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14, if you would. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. Here is an inspiring book, Zechariah, which is sort of a bridge book because it goes right on over into things about the New Testament and is picturing tomorrow's world in a very special way. Notice Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1, inspired word of God, as Jesus said, live by every word of God. And the only inspired word of God, the only written word of God at that time was the Old Testament when Jesus said that. So let's listen to the word of God. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For God says, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. There's a picture of Jerusalem right behind me in our set. So that's inspiring to have Jerusalem nearby, so to speak. The city shall be taken, 
the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Right now, that city is split down the middle already. Once again, the Jews have had control. They've been brought back, but about half the city is the Arabs, and there's constant tension, and half the city eventually will be taken into captivity until Christ comes to deliver his people and all of the Israelitish people, which he will do. Then, the eternal capital L-O-R-D, as you've heard me explain, means the ever-living one, the one with life inherent within himself, the great God, the eternal, will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ is coming back in power to this earth. And my friends, please understand these things are real. I know we get caught up in our daily lives. A lot of you have just traveled here and maybe you're tired from the trip even today driving. And somehow it seems unreal to think that the whole world is going to be changed. But most of you begin to realize, I hope the last couple of years or so, that things are already changing. Our society is in trouble in a desperate way, a different way than it ever has been. Everything seems to be going wrong. Our finances in America and Britain are going down. Our finance and our weather is going down. We have this terrible Gulf oil spill, which may pollute and damage the atmosphere, affecting millions of people for generations to come, unless Christ intervenes and changes the whole structure of the, of the Gulf Coast, which he will do. One thing after the other is happening around this world. And man and man's governments are in trouble. They're not working. They are not working. This world needs right government. This world needs what we have to give. So Christ is coming back to this world, to the Mount of Olives. I've climbed the Mount of Olives a number of times, just a big hill east of Jerusalem. A lot of you have been there. It's very real. This coming kingdom of God is real. He says in verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. He's not going to rule up in heaven after Christ returns. He's going to rule on this earth. The Bible says that over and over again. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Everything God represents will be in charge, so to speak. Now, in verse 13, he says, I'm sorry, Let's go to verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone, God says, who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and apparently they're going to be at least representatives of all the nations in this final battle, they shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That is, all these nations. It doesn't say the Jews will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And I hope you new brethren can understand that. This is not talking about the Jews. This is talking about the whole world. All the nations will go up to keep the feast that you're beginning to keep right now in the presence of the great God, the Lord God of the armies of Israel, who will soon intervene. And it shall be in that whatever, whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem, of the whole earth, to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, we're here to worship our God, to worship God, to draw close to him, to learn of his ways, to learn of his laws, and to picture this coming time. On them there will be no rain. God will get their attention. If the family of Egypt will not come up, they'll say, oh, we're not going to keep this Jewish festival. That anti-Jewish attitude will be stamped out eventually, my friends. But if they will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague. 
So if one year of drought doesn't get the message across, then God will send a plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, not to watch the Jews keep it, but to keep it themselves. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We're here now. We are pioneers. This world is coming to an end, and I hope all of us can recognize that more than ever these last few years. We may have another 7 to 11 years, possibly more, but we're not going to have forever. We need to realize that this world is coming to an end, and it needs right government to even survive. All of us need that, but God has called you and me to be a part of that coming government. And when you think about the glory and the power and the opportunity that we will have to bring tears of joy to this whole world, we should really be inspired to want to learn that way of life and to prepare for that wonderful opportunity to help this world to serve these millions of people who are out there hurting, starving, diseased, being beaten, raped, humiliated, put down, crushed, killed. We'll have an opportunity to stop all that As it says back in Psalm 149, we will bind their kings and nobles with iron. We'll take care of those dictators, those bad guys. We will soon have the power to do that if we ourselves truly get ready, my friends. So let's understand that and be very grateful for the calling that we have. Turn now, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go to the New Testament now. This tells us about our job A lot of people say, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Or they'll say, well, this prophecy stuff is found in the book of of Revelation. No, it's found in the epistles of Paul, the epistles of Peter, and all through the Bible that is found from one end of the Bible to the other. One-fourth of this book is devoted to prophecy. Understand that. It's an important thing to God. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes, the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Why do you go down the street to some worldly court, possibly before some judge who's an atheist or agnostic and despises the very God of heaven? He doesn't believe the way of life or the way of God at all. You go down to get justice from him, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's why we're called. That's why God has called you and me now for two reasons. First, to help get this message to the world as a witness. Secondly, to prepare ourselves through Christ living in us to be those kings and priests under Christ to judge this world, to rule this world, to teach the world the right way of life. Paul says, don't you know that? that the saints will judge the world, not heaven. They won't go up to have some investigative judgment sitting for a thousand years going over books. They will start judging the world right here. And the Bible just filled with that over and over. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters, just matters of the church and upsets between brethren? He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? We're going to judge, or the Hebrew word can be translated manage. We will manage angels, and they will be our servants directly at that time as spirit beings in God's kingdom. How much more things that pertain to this life. So we've got to learn to judge, to make right decisions, and to build that kind of character, that kind of understanding, so we can be those kings and priests under Jesus Christ that God talks about. 
we have a wonderful opportunity to learn, an opportunity to prepare for our real calling, because God has called us now to do the work, and secondly, to prepare ourselves to be those coming leaders, governors, kings, under Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's understand that. That is why you were born. That is why you were called now, my brethren. Please understand. So we are here to worship God, and we should try with all our might to drink in the mind of God from the sermons and the teachings, the organization, and the activities here in this festival. Everything is not going to be perfect. We understand that. But overall, we are reflecting the way of God. We're reflecting the government of God, the kingdom of God, a little kind of a foretaste of the fellowship and the love and the joy and the cooperation and the beauty that we will experience in tomorrow's world. You get a little foretaste of that here in God's festival, and we want to deeply appreciate it. So we should try to do everything we can to drink in of that way of the mind of God. We are in God's presence in a very special way in this festival. We are, and we should understand that. Turn back to Deuteronomy 14, if you would. Deuteronomy, brethren, in your Old Testament, yes, but Scriptures Christ referred to. He referred to Deuteronomy and his, his uh, teachings as Scripture, and he referred to many books in the Old Testament. They're all Scripture, inspired of God. They were to a carnal nation, but many of these things were to be carried right over. And God tells us, as I'll show you, that we're going to teach the whole world God's statutes. And the holy days are statutes. They are among the statutes of God. As you study, you will see that very clearly. God told our ancestors back here, spiritual or physical, if we're partly Israelite in our human background, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 God commands, you shall truly tithe, give a tenth of all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the eternal your God in the place which he chooses. Well, God had already described this, these regular tithes to his work, but this is a second tithe, an additional tithe, which some of the various books of the Apocrypha pointed out. The Jews understood that. They knew that that's what they did. So you can use this tithe that you're saving up for the feast, not to help us, but to help you to keep the Feast of Tabernacles in the place where God chooses to make his name abide. So God has guided us as we think and pray to choose places where God's name will abide and where we can worship him together in peace. Your new wine, oil, firstlings, your flocks, that you boy do what? Just have a good time? I know a lot of you young people just come to the feast to have a good time. Uh, you know, a lot of you have grown up in the church. It's not wrong to have a good time. But the primary purpose is to learn to fear the eternal, your God, always. To have that awe of the great creator and to fear him, to learn to fear him, to learn to have that deep respect for God, for his laws, for his ways, for his whole way of life. That's why we're here to learn that whole way of life and to fear him, to honor our creator as we worship together and learn that way of life as a preparatory exercise, so to speak, toward the kingdom of God. 
But if the journey is too long, so you're not able to carry the tithe of your produce, then you could turn it into money and spend it for whatever your heart desires. That's right. You're not supposed to get drunk or be a glutton. Other scriptures tell you that. But you can spend it for oxen, sheep, wine, or similar drink, or whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. We are to be very happy here as a picture of the coming government of God on this earth. You shall not forsake the Levite who's within your gates. You're to help the ministers and special help can be given to them to keep the feast. This is a time where to worship God in the place he chooses, as this scripture says. It's a place where we learn God's ways. We learn specifically during these sermons, during these activities, to fear God, to have that awe and respect for God and everything God stands for, for his name. So God inspired his servant, Mr. Armstrong, Herbert W. Armstrong, brethren. Some of you are new and never heard of Mr. Armstrong or didn't know much about him. But the church of God went along hundreds of years, and they would keep bits and pieces of God's feasts. It's in the record church history where some would keep the, most would keep the Sabbath, of course. Many would keep the 14th day Passover, or they would keep Pentecost, or they would keep the Feast of Tabernacles, or some people substituted a camp meeting in the autumn for the Feast of Tabernacles. But they didn't really keep all seven festivals, and Mr. Armstrong dug into it and presented it, And he gradually came to understand over a period of years the meaning of these festivals. God guided him in a special way. And we can be very grateful for that. I had the privilege, and I'm the only one still alive, as some of you know, who had the privilege to study directly under Mr. Armstrong and help build this work. And the only one who's still going and still teaching the truth and doing the work of God today. And I'm very grateful for that, to have that opportunity today. So God inspired Mr. Armstrong to become aware of the full meaning of these festivals and teach them to the world. So the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the great fall harvest of souls as the early festivals picture other things and the Days of Unleavened Bread picture, you know, coming out of Egypt, Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits pictures the small harvest in the spring. So the Feast of Ingathering, as it is called in a number of times in the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Ingathering. It pictures the great fall harvest when God will set his hand to save the whole world, to save all the souls, so to speak, everyone alive will know about the truth before the millennium is over. They will be taught the way of God, and we should be there to help teach them, to help them learn and to practice that way of life. And that's our opportunity. So the feast pictures this great fall harvest. Are you personally, brethren, preparing to rule this world, to help this world, to save this world, to teach this world the ways of God under the leadership of the living Jesus Christ who will be here in person in a few years? Is that real to you? Are you beginning to actually do that? I hope that you are, and I hope during this festival you can get your mind on that more than ever. Think about that. Begin to do that. Turn back to Revelation now. These are familiar scriptures, but nevertheless we need to review them from time to time. And be sure our mind is on this, that we have the mind of God. Turn back to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 26. God says, 
speaking through Christ, actually, because this is Christ speaking in the first person as you read the context. And he who overcomes, Christ says, and keeps my works, Christ's works, until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Christ will give us power under him, of course, over the nations, plural, all the nations of this world. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. Yes, we'll have to rule them very strictly at first. There'll be these dictators who'll fight and they won't want to obey God. In fact, when Christ comes back as king of kings, as you read back in Revelation chapter 17, they're going to fight him at his second coming. That's astonishing. But you see how deceived these people are in this world. They are really mixed up something awful. And all of us brethren, you new brethren, need to realize how deceived this world really is that they would have the audacity to fight Christ at his second coming. So we're going to have to rule them, brethren, strictly at first to help them get calmed down, to calm their nerves, to let them know who God really is and what the way of life really is. He shall rule them with the rod of iron as the potter's vessel shall be broken to pieces as I also, Christ is speaking, he said, I also have received from my Father. So he's talking about us ruling as he himself will be ruling. In chapter 5, And in verse 9, we hear about a new song, an inspired song, the song of the saints, inspired of God to show what's going to happen. They sang a new song saying, Revelation 5 and verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. So they're singing this song, so to speak, to Christ. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. See, we're to be kings, ruling the nations, ruling the world, and priests. Priests were the teachers. Many of the Levites were the teachers of Israel, and we're going to be kings and priests, kind of combining both as Moses did, teaching and ruling at the same time. So you will be kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign where? Up in heaven? No, we shall reign on the earth. And every scripture that really spells it out shows Christ comes right back to this earth after these terrible events of the tribulation and the day of the Lord, the heavenly signs. He's on this earth, and he stays on this earth, and he rules this earth, not up in heaven, this world with a rod of iron and then the whole knowledge of God will spread all over the earth to every nation, every human being, every ethnic group and we will be part of doing that teaching and training and helping human beings to learn the right way to live to love each other, to serve each other to learn and to love in peace as God wants us to do and have tremendous blessings when they learn to do that under our direction. We've got to learn that way first, don't we? Before we can teach that way of life, we've got to learn it and we've got to practice it. We can't practice a wrong form of government and expect God to use us to administer the right form of government. We can't teach a watered-down gospel and expect God to use us powerfully. We've got to try to learn the whole truth and to practice the whole truth in order to be those kings and priests in tomorrow's world. So I ask you, brethren, do you understand God's laws and his statutes Have you thought about that? Have you mastered yourself, the world, and Satan, the devil? Have you learned to overcome? He said, the overcomers will rule. Are you an overcomer? How much have you grown since last year's festival? How much have you changed? 
how much more deeply do you understand God's laws, God's ways, God's statutes? Think about that. Analyze. Why do I keep mentioning statutes? Because the Ten Commandments give the broad way of life, but when you're administering government over nations and even cities and villages all over the earth, you break down the Ten Commandments into the statutes, and the statutes spell out in literal detail how many of these things ought to be carried out. We don't necessarily care out every statute in the letter, but God shows us where to understand all these things in the Spirit because they are the mind of God. As you know, when God brought Israel uh, out of Egypt and into the land of, of Israel, He told them, if you have, uh, uh, have to go outside the camp, He says, dig a hole and cover over your refuse so there won't be, you know, contamination. He gave them sanitary laws. He said, if you build a flat roof, put a railing around it so people won't fall off. And he gave them all kinds of statutes spelling out a whole way of life. And we're to learn that whole way of life. We don't automatically know how every one of his principles of how to love God, how to love God would apply and literally tail in a city unless we do what? Unless we drink into this book, which is the mind of God in print. Think about that, please, brethren. This book is the mind of God in print. I know some of the young people like to flip a screen and go here and there. I don't condemn that, but I advise you at least in addition to that to get your own Bible, to study it, to mark it, to drink it up thoughtfully. So you can just punch a little bit here and there. I think it'll seem far more real and far more permanent if you get your Bible and study it in that way as your ancestors did and learn the way of God. But learn it in every way. Use the computer as a help, a tool, but study and meditate on the Word of God, on God's commandments, His statutes, His laws, and think about how would these apply according to the way Christ magnified the law in the New Testament. So we need to learn to do that. Have you mastered yourself, your self-will and vanity and lust? Have you mastered the world more and more this last year to overcome the distractions and temptations of the world around you? Have you learned to be aware of and perceptive of Satan and his devices? And are you overcoming him more and more every day, resisting Satan and his wrong attitudes that come pouring into your mind? Are you overcoming and becoming like Christ in all those ways? Think, why will ancient David of Israel be the king over the entire nations of Israel, all 12 nations of Israel in tomorrow's world? What set him apart from the other kings, other leaders of the past? Well, one of the big things is the fact that he did administer God's laws and his statutes for 40 years, and he was used as the benchmark, the one that set the example throughout the Old Testament, says, you're not like my father David, or this king was bad because he did not follow the example of his father, his ancestor David. And God uses him as the measuring stick, so to speak, the benchmark. And one reason for that, as you read in Psalm 119, is this. And turn with me now, brethren, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and let's begin in verse 1. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the eternal, the very law of God who blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. 
During this festival, we have an opportunity to hear sermons every day, to fellowship with Christian people every day, and to seek God. Please, brethren, don't just come to have fun or just to be around church people. Come to worship God and think God is here. Christ is here in a special way because they through their spirit are hundreds of angels around each of our festival sites. God is watching over us. He is here. Worship him. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. So we're to learn to keep God's statutes. He says over here in verse 44, Verse, let, let's turn to verse 33 first. Teach me, O eternal, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. God's statutes, teach me that, God says. Verse 44, so shall I keep your law continually, David wrote, forever and ever. I will walk at liberty, for I will seek your precepts, uh, and your, speak of your testimonies before kings, and I will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also uh, will I lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Statutes, as I gave you some of them, they're all the way through the Old Testament, particularly, of course, spelled out in the books of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some in Numbers. Get those. Study them. Deuteronomy chapter... 12 through 26, for instance, spells out God's statutes in detail. Deuteronomy 12 through 26, learn to study those statutes and make them part of the way you are, the way you think. Turn back to Ezekiel 36 now, if you would, brethren. Ezekiel 36 and beginning in verse 22. Notice, God says here, therefore say to the house of Israel, Here, this book of Ezekiel was written over a hundred years after ancient Israel went into their captivity, from which they never returned, the house of Israel. They're going to be brought back again at Christ's return. So he says, thus says the eternal, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but my own holy name's sake, which you profaned. He says, verse uh, 24, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land God's going to bring his people back to first Israel, the land in the Middle East, and then gradually back, no doubt, to the British Isles in America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Give us the temperate parts of the earth once again. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. We have filthiness in our nation today. A lot of you understand that the homosexual movement, the movement to kill and murder more more uh, baby children before they're even born, you have a choice. They say, yes, your choice is to be a mother or to be a murderess. You can choose. Choose life. Choose life. Don't choose death. But God is against and hates what we're getting into in our perverted society. He says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So he'll give us then a soft heart. That is the people of the world to help them understand, to be willing to listen, not to argue with God, but to be willing to listen. He says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God's statutes will be the way of life. 
cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you'll dwell in the land of your fathers and be my people. And he says, so that you need never again to bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Verse 30, God will bless his people, but they'll have to learn his statutes. He said over in chapter 37, Ezekiel 37, 24, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. The holy days and tithing are among God's statutes. We're going to teach that way of life. Then they'll dwell in the land I gave to your father Jacob and my servants, and they'll dwell there forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. David will be there forever because he learned to study God's statutes. He meditated day and night on God's law, and he administered that law for 40 years as the greatest king of ancient Israel, a man after God's own heart. That's why he's going to be the king over all of Israel under Christ. And that's why we need to follow that example so we can be there. We can be those kings and priests because we will have meditated on the Ten Commandments. We will have meditated on the statutes, thought about them, prayed about them, asked God's understanding, learned to practice that way of life in our own life and in whatever position of judgment or authority or leadership we have, try to learn to do that in every way we can. Because, brethren, we have a real job to do. Christ is coming soon, and we're going to be having a job to help bring tears of joy to people's eyes all over this earth and help them understand and practice the way of life. Turn back to Revelation 11 now. Revelation chapter 11, it describes here the last trump that's going to sound and how these woes are going to come. And the last woe, the third woe is the last trump. And he says in Revelation 11 and verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, that seventh trump. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world, not up in heaven, this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Christ is going to reign forever and ever, and you and I can have part of serving him, helping him, bringing tears of joy to people's eyes all over this world and the coming government of God soon to be set up under Jesus Christ and under his saints who will have part in that. We must learn that way of life. We must deeply appreciate it. Now let's turn, brethren, to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. David the king wrote this and is picturing that coming government. Psalm chapter 72, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. So he's going to have mercy on all the people suffering in every way. He will break in pieces the oppressor Wow, what an opportunity. We will have to stop these dictators, these so-called strong men that are hurting people. They shall bear you as long as the sun and moon endure. Throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. The world needs that, that rain, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish, the abundance of peace, until the moon is no more. 
He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the world. Verse 11, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. He's king of kings. All nations shall serve him for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Boy, are people going to be grateful once they see the magnificent love and kindness and mercy, the perceptiveness of Christ and the perceptiveness and kindness of those under Christ who are going to rule strongly at first, the bad guys, but then they'll have kindness and patience and mercy and empathy toward every human being of every background, trying to help them, to build them, to serve them, to help them have a full life and help them also to become like God that they can become full members of the kingdom of God, the very family of God, and live in that family and interact with God, the Father, and with Christ, and with the spirits of just men made perfect forever. While we have an opportunity, all nations shall serve him. He will deliver the needy when he cries, and he'll save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. He says at the end in verse 18, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. This world is not going to do it. Don't think they'll do it. They will not. Christ will do it. The great God will do it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can have part of that coming kingdom and be in the very family of God and interact with Jesus, interact with David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Peter and James and John and the apostles of Paul. And the spirits of just men made perfect. We will have that opportunity in the very family of God to bring tears of joy to people, to give them the peace of God that passes all understanding and to help straighten out this world and prepare people to live forever in the very family of God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let's be thankful to be here, brethren. Let's learn God's ways, God's statutes. Let's seek Him during this festival. Let's worship our Creator. Let's give thanks to Him and pray to Him throughout this festival and try to meditate on the sermons. Think every way we can. How can we draw closer to the God who gives us life and breath? How can we better reflect Jesus Christ in everything we think and say and do? How can we better prepare to be those kings and priests and a government soon to be set up on this earth? The government of God, the kingdom of God under our Savior, our merciful high priest and our coming king, Jesus the Christ. That's why we're here. Brethren, have a good night's sleep. Keep in a right attitude through this festival. Ask God to banish Satan, any wrong spirit, but rejoice before God. And do everything you can to draw close to Him. Use your time with joy and with positiveness and with faith and courage. Get a good night's sleep. And we'll see you here tomorrow.